Welcome to Business as an Adventure, a podcast dedicated to improving the businesses and lives of creative entrepreneurs. Together, we interview high-performing entrepreneurs and creatives from all over the world, explore what makes them and their business unique. And along the way, we uncover their secrets to help you craft your own adventure in the world of business. Today's guest is Dave Shea, a photographer, husband, and dad from Raleigh, North Carolina. I've known Dave for a few years now and even got to meet his lovely wife, Sarah, at WPPI in 2020, just before the world went weird. Dave has been a rock in our industry, teaching, sharing, and working with photographers on things like systems and workflows, but most importantly, how to get people time back in their lives for things that truly matter. Constantly questioning and challenging photographers, asking them when they've taken a vacation last or how many days off they take in a year, which often left with with strange answers from photographers who are like, wait, what's time off? He's an amazing, accomplished photographer. He shot over 300 weddings as an ambassador for SLR Lounge. And my favorite stat from his entire website is this year alone has consumed over 122 tacos. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Dave Shea. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Dave. It's just just the day. It's just the two of us. I'm excited. Yeah. So we wanted to have you on because uh, you and I have been talking for a couple of years sort of off and on about systems and CRMs and migrations and all these fun things. And I love photographers who love systems. I used to love photographers who loved systems because I was an engineer and just systems made me happy. Now I'm a photographer who loves systems because it gives people time back in their lives. So what got you into sort of being a systems guy? It's actually kind of funny that you mentioned being an engineer. So I had a background in a similar area. I worked for camera companies, and uh, that's kind of how I got into the photography world. But when it comes to systems, it's, it sounds silly, but like it's kind of a way to hack around my personality defects um, and ADHD. And uh, I realized often that like when you start in photography, like you or in any, any business really where you're self-employed, there's a list of things that have to get done. And for me, at least, most of the stuff wouldn't just not get done. Like, I would just like, oh, shoot, like 80% of this stuff is just not getting accomplished. And it's stuff that would actually drive change in my business. And so I really just tried to find ways to like hack around, like, all right, I can't remember to do this stuff. How can I figure that out? And I realized like how important systems and process are through that. And it was a, it wasn't like a, oh, it was a fun learning experience. Like I almost bankrupted myself. I almost like ruined my family. Like I went through some like nasty stuff to get that sorted. And that's kind of why I doubled down on it once I kind of like was on the climb back up from those nasty dips was like, all right, if I'm going to do this again and I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it right and make sure that it, it is in place, uh, that stuff is in place to, to prevent me from making a mess of it. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest hurdle during that phase? Like, what was the thing that you just like had a really hard time figuring out? Like the easy answer is like, oh, there's so many options out there. But like the thing is, is pride is probably the biggest one. Like when you come in and you own a business, like it's so hard to come in and be like, oh, I need help with this. Or I I," like because it's about you, right? Like in some ways, when you build this this photography business or you're building stuff like that, like it really is about you. So when I was like on this this mend from things, I had to be willing to learn and be wrong in my assumptions. And so like I would be like, oh, well, so many of my friends have told me this system is awesome or this thing is awesome. But nothing ever worked for any business across the board. And so like I had to be like, all right, well, all my like top tier friends recommended X system. I'm going to go check it out. And then I try and it wouldn't work for me. And like, I'd be like, am I wrong or whatever? And like, it was a really big learning process for me to be like, all right, I have to experiment with things and commit. Like I switched CRMs five times before I wound on the system that I'm in right now. That sucked so bad. (laughs) Yeah, for anybody out there who's never switched CRMs, it's a nightmare. It's terrible. And like, and I, and I had to commit each time to be like, all right, is this going to work for me? And so like, I'd try it with a new job. I'd get new clients in there. I'd be in and I'm like, you know what? I'm two months in. I'm not, I'm not digging it. And it took me like five full switches for me to learn that. But like previously, I think I would have just been like, I'm just going to make it work. I'm not going to go as deep. But like that learning experience was huge. Yeah. We talked a little bit before we hit record about how we're both sort of system agnostic, which is probably like there's people out there who are listening right now who are probably like, come on, just tell me what the magic bullet is. But I don't think that exists. And I believe you don't think that exists. Why? Why is there not a solution that works for every photographer? This is all right. So like I'm going to... 
circumvent the question to come back to it. Like yeah, it's yeah. one of those things that like people talk all the time about like ideal clients, right? Is a, is a, as a huge conversation point. And you talk about perfecting your price list and marketing to your audience and, and a lot of this stuff. Well, every business is so, so different. And because like, I want to, I don't remember the number offhand, but like just go in and ballpark and call it 90% of photographers are solopreneurs, right? Like mm-hmm. out of all the ones that are out there, most of them are, are one-stop shops. You have to find that what you, the strengths that you bring to the table. So if a lot of people like their target client or the person that interacts with them is going to set the tone for their business. And it's the same way with the other side of your business when you're not shooting like everything outside of the realm of like clicking buttons on the camera is going to be affected by the way that you do things. And so like a great example is like for me, social media is irrelevant. My clients don't care. Like I can lose my social media presence completely and have no loss to my business. That is very rare. But I have like a whole subset of people that are just like me that hate social media. And so it works great. Like, and that's my client and that's, that's how it works. Right. But like, that system that I've built that works for me without social media could cripple someone else's business. Yep. And it, and it's so easy to look at like successful photographers or people in the industry and be like, oh, well, they're using X. I have to do X as well. Like, no, you, you have a completely different set of strengths and weaknesses than they do. And you have to find systems that fill in those strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting when we started off photographing, we we would just copy everybody that we came across. Like, I remember it was like the first one of the first creative lives we ever watched was the Zach and Jody Gray creative live. And they had this like method that they used for their phone calls and their client meetings. And we're like, we copied it entirely and hated it because we're not phone people in any way, shape or form. (laughs) We didn't want to transform our home into this trendy coffee shop that our clients could come over and meet us at and like all of these things. But it was just like no reason to attack me like this, Dave, because I (laughs) I did the same thing after seeing the same creative live. Yeah, but I mean, everybody does this. Everybody does it. Where we like, we're staying at our, our good friend's house right now, Lanny and Erica Mann. And we have seen four years. We helped them with their very first, you know, balls out workshop, which became Metanoia, which is now Two Man U. And for the years, we've been, you know, talking to them about people who come to their workshop and just want to carbon copy their business model. And they have to keep telling people over and over again that doesn't work. And yeah. it's why, like, when I've always taught marketing, much like you, our business, we don't care about social media. I think we had 3,000 followers on on Instagram with no effort. Like we didn't go on Instagram. We scheduled posts through later. It didn't matter. Our clients didn't go there. But when I teach marketing and, and when we teach it in the course and stuff, it's all like, here are some broad strokes. Here are 20 different ways you can market your business. Choose the three that you don't hate because that's what's going to work for your business. And I think it's the same when when you're looking at CRMs or email programs or whatever. It's like much like you, like we started on ShootQ, we've used Tave, we've used Absato, we've used Pixify, like everything. We've tried it all to try to find the system that shores up our weaknesses. Yeah, it's huge. And I, I think that's one of the things that we underestimate because like there's so much. We're so hesitant to spend our dollars and we're so eager to spend our time on things. And so like your initial reaction is, oh, I don't have to pay for that. I can do it myself. I don't have to pay for that. I can do it myself. And that, that cost me from getting a CRM for like an extra two years. Was that, and that was the biggest lie. Like I was like, oh yeah, I can totally handle it. And like, yeah, and then great. And then I'm like emailing the wrong contracts and, and all sorts of stuff. And like just chaos folded out after that. I, I think about it in like, in it's a relationship like, like anything else, right? Like my wife has completely different skill set than I do. And we've worked very hard to complement each other in areas that we're not. And that sometimes that means that we both have a weakness in an area and we both have to work on it together, right? It's the same thing with my business. There's going to be areas where like I can't find a system that's going to be perfect here. So I have to figure out certain ways like the, uh, the panel we did, I think was a great display of all different systems and how people did things differently. Because like, Myra LaPlante, uh, her and Jesse are, are great photographers and, and system. Like she's on a completely different end of the spectrum from me yeah. where I'm like, I'm going to automate everything. She's going to get, I'm going to keep a personal touch, right? There's so much different between the two of us. But what we both did is we tried a bunch of stuff and we found something that works for us. And then you fill in those gaps. You're not going to fill in everything perfectly. So you're going to have those weaknesses, but knowing what they are makes it a game changer for you to be able to go and like, all right, I know this is in my blind spot, right? Like, I know I'm going to forget to do this. How can I get systems that remind me to do that stuff? Or what can I do to complement that? It's a big deal. Like, it's something a lot of people really just don't pay enough attention to. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And I think you're saying like about the the solopreneurs, that's, that's a huge part of it. Because oftentimes people don't even see the weaknesses in their own business. 
Like when we started our photography business, I was still working full-time in engineering. Yep. My wife was running our business and she sucked at email. Like just, <laughs> just terrible. To this day, she's terrible at email. She's one of those people that has like yes. thousands of unread emails in her oh, inbox. Yep. I'm just like, I can't even function. That would kill me. So like one of the first things I did when I quit my job, because we were starting to do better, is like, let me just take it, please. Let me just take over email. Because it was a strength of mine and a huge weakness of hers. But without that outside look, how do you even know? To give like a little bit of, I try not to go too deep into my backstory, but like the short version is I went from five weddings one year, 15 the next, 53 the third, right? And then I tried to maintain that pace. I almost wrecked my marriage. I almost wrecked the business. Like I just couldn't keep up. And the CRM, I was late to the party. So I was trying to like backfill during wedding season. And I was trying to like switch as well. Like just so much chaos that you can imagine. One of the biggest things that I found was talking to people that were around me and having like, and, and just asking them questions. So I'd find other photographers and we'd hang out in Zoom rooms or like back then it was Google Hangouts and, and whatever. And we just talk about things like, hey, I'm doing this. What are you doing? But the biggest thing that I have found, like bar none, is watching my calendar. So I use a, an app called Rescue Time. This is the only thing that I'm like not system agnostic on. You can use Screen Time too with, with pretty decent effects. Uh, Rescue Time is a little bit more granular for me and there's a free version, which is why I like it. But it just, it goes on your computer and it outlines what you spend your time on. And so at the end of the week, you get a report of how much time you spent on your computer. And I'm big about if I sit at my work computer, I'm going to do work stuff and I'm not going to do anything else. And man, this thing shows you what you were spending hours of your life on. And then I start looking at that list and I'm going, all right, if I spent four hours on blogging last week, I spent two hours on this, whatever. Like I start looking at that stuff and going, all right. Is this, am I spending so much time here because it's one of my strengths? Or am I spending so much time here because this is a weakness of mine? I freaking hate this. And that's, it's taking me forever to get this task done because I am miserable the entire time. And that has been one of the biggest things that I do to like find like, all right, what can I either pay someone else to do? Can I automate it? Like I start looking at that task a whole lot differently. Does it even need to be done? Half the time, zero chance it needs to be done. And I'm spending like three hours just angry, just, oh, let me. Let me go update my third about me page on my website. <laughs> Just like stupid stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so funny because I used to love software like that until it started forcing me into shame spirals because it's like oh i spent yes. like three hours today doing this blah, blah blah and i just like i had to move away from it because i'm just now my, now it's always like okay i have tasks that i need to get done and they need to get done today did yeah. i get them done yes don't be sad that you spent an hour on reddit it's yeah. okay you've got your shit done <laughs> That's and uh, something I've been taught with with having so I'm, I'm fairly heavy ADHD. And so one of the things that somebody taught me early on was ride the wave. Um, it was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. And so I will often text my wife. I actually just sent her a text earlier today. I was like, hey, I've got like four things that need to be blogged. I'm feeling bloggy for some reason. <laughs> Are you OK if I if I'm a little bit late, late coming home tonight or coming downstairs with, to interact with the kids? Is that something that you're OK to take on the extra responsibility there so I can get this stuff done? And then tomorrow, I'm probably not going to work at all photo wise, right? Like I'm just going to take that day to compensate. And so learning to kind of like capitalize on that momentum once it's there and batching those things together, because I really only want to blog one session. I got one session. I'm kind of jazzed to get it out there. It's kind of awesome. The other two, yeah. I, I'll blog them like, yeah, like I'll get around to it. But like the one I'm like, just like, ah, oh, it's just good to be in the groove again. Right. And so what I'm going to do is I'll get them all ready and I'll do all the same tasks at the same time. And I'll just ride that wave of blogging until I can't anymore. All right, I'm going to do as much blogging work today. And that's where like some people find really good luck with planners and, and all that stuff. Like I'm just like, all right, today is this day. And if I've got deadlines and stuff, I, I fill in those gaps too. But it's been huge because, yeah, it's so easy to look at your day and be like, oh, shoot. I had one hour of productive time. Well, if you have one hour of productive time and that knocked out all the stuff you need, great. Great. Like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. As, as, as a fellow adhd -er, I totally understand the, uh, the hyper-focused days. Yes. I spent hours yesterday writing email sequences because I'm just like, I want to write email sequences. I never want to write email sequences, no. but it just hap so happened. I was sitting on a beautiful balcony overlooking the mountains and wanted to write email sequences. And so it's exactly. just like... This is me for the next six hours. Just, just, just deal with it. And that's, it's funny because it's one of those things that I, I learned because I was trying to cope with parts of ADHD inside of my business. But the, the way that it wound up working out was I would share that with other people and they're like, Oh, well, I do this thing and then I do this thing and then I do this thing rather than do the th same thing. So if you shot like Friday, Saturday wedding and an engagement session on Monday, 
cull all of them at the same time, edit all of them at the same time, get them all prepped for delivery at the same like doing those things, you're not context switching as much. And so I started sharing like how I got around this with other people and people without ADHD are like, this is amazing. I'm spending less time culling, things like that. And that's where you start being like, oh, okay, like it's, it's, it works for everyone. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so much easier to not have to switch gears between multiple tasks all the time and just like hyper focus on one thing. I used to do the same thing. Like I would just wait and then call all of our weddings in one day. I would just sit here. I use a uh, an Xbox controller to call yep. so I could just like sit back, kick my feet up on the desk <laughs> yep, and, and, and just use that to call. And I would just it would be so, so great. My wife could never do that. She's a task switcher. She's, she changes things every 20 minutes that she's working on. And I'm just like, nah, I can't. <laughs> but and I've also I've also realized, too, that over time, and I don't know if this is uh, an ADD thing or if this is just people in general. I have a feeling it's people in general, yeah. uh, especially creatives, that we're always looking for motivation and inspiration. And we're waiting for those things to strike before we do. And I've yeah. realized that those two things follow action all the time. Like if I just start doing things, if I, if I start doing something really boring that needs to be done, I guarantee you I will be motivated, inspired to do something else and just like crank that task out. There's a, so there's obviously the books like every time this conversation comes up, there's Power of Habit. Um, there's a few other books. One of them, one of them one has a habit in the name as well. And there's, Atomic so there's like, Habits is Atomic another habit. big That's one. Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And so there's all these conversations and stuff. But one of the most helpful things I found is that like, so somebody told me discipline begets discipline, right? So if I start early in the morning, like screwing around on my phone on Facebook, going through all my photography groups, seeing how much better I am than everyone or how I didn't delete a session from yesterday or whatever. Like if I skip that and I immediately like if I start working out in the morning, 98% chance later on in the day that like other things go better too because of it. And it's, it's infuriating. I'm going to start with it's infuriating that that's the <laughs> yeah. way things work. But I've started setting like, all right, I don't feel like working out and it's for 30 minutes. So I'm just going to start working out for five. All I'm going to do is I'm just going to commit to a five minute workout. And I'll do the same thing if like, if I come back from a session and like, I'm feeling like really beat down, I'll like, all right, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to set a timer for five minutes and I'll call as quickly as I can and get into it. And usually like by the time I'm like in the groove, like the timer goes off, I cancel it and I just finish calling it out. Every so often I, I get like, nope, five minutes is done. I'm, I'm free. Like and I, I just bail and I come back later on. But like probably 80, 80, 90% of that time, I'm like, you know what? The five minutes gets me moving and that's all I commit to. And I have the out if I need it and yeah. I get it done. Yeah, it's huge. I do that for running because I never want to go for a run. And then it's like, okay, I'm just going to run around the block and then I pick up a stride and I'm like, oh, this isn't too bad. Well, while I'm out here, I may yep. as well do 5k. Another thing that I do all the time is if I've got something to get done that I just really don't want to do, but it has to be done and it's too short of a deadline to outsource it or anything else like that. And this was uh, Maya Angelou did this, Neil Gaiman, lots of writers do this where they get themselves bored and the only thing they can do to break the boredom is that thing that they need to get done. Like Maya Angelou used to rent like cheap motel rooms apparently with no distractions and That's she would awesome. just go to that motel room and just stay in there and write. That was all she could do. Be in this boring motel room with no TV or write. I'm like, yeah, that's magical. That's, that's cool. It's, I'm thinking, so I've actually got a chair over there. And if I want to use my phone during the workday, and this is like taking it to like an absurd degree. And I understand that because I've hacked around myself, right? This, this is me you have to. Yeah. shaming myself out of bad behavior. But I used to like, I'd come to call and I would have my phone there. And so I just start scrolling or whatever. And so I have a chair behind me that if I want to use my phone during the day, I go sit in that chair and use my phone. And then when I get bored, if I want to come back and work, I come back, I leave my phone over there and I come back over to work. And like little things like that are just like, huh, this is remarkably helpful. I got my distractions out, but I have to like remove myself from my desk, say, I'm not going to work anymore. Go sit in like the shame chair as it feels like it's becoming known as scroll around yeah. on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or whatnot. And then I come back over and I'm like, all right, I've, I've got that out of my system. Now I'm actually going to go back to work. Yeah. I mean, change of environment is huge. And, and just that moving to a different chair or whatever. It's like I have my office. My office is for work. This is where I come and do work. If I sit upstairs with a laptop, I'm going to make a cup of coffee. I'm going to find something. I'm going to board eat or do whatever. I'm going to play yep. with my dogs. I'm not going to get work done. It's actually why we're staying out in the mountains right now, because I have this huge deadline for the course that we're launching next month. Yeah, and I'm like, OK, I have to remove as many distractions as possible. And the easiest way to do that is go to a house full of health nuts, 
who don't play video games and like don't do anything else like that there's no snack food in their cupboards or anything just be in this place that's like knowing yourself enough though like that's one of the things that i think we don't really do well as creatives is we don't take time to analyze ourselves we're so often we're often in firefighter mode and so we're so focused on the next goal the next deadline and things like that where you have to be able to call yourself out uh, on your crap a little bit you have to be like all right i'm not going to be able to get this done if these things happen and so you have to set those set yourself up for success to begin with and like a lot of the times like most photographers that i talk with like when we do mentoring or things like that almost all of them like i can say this with there i've met like one that was like pretty productive and they were looking to shave off like seconds on things but like almost all of them are spending like 40 to 80 hours a week doing a job that is like 30 to 40 hours a week tops. Yep. Like I, when I started paying attention to that in my business, I scaled my work week down from 87 hours a week to 25 at most. Now I work 10 hours a week. And granted, I trade off and I intentionally trade off extra money to do that because it gives me the freedom that I want. And I'm after enough, not more. Whereas other people are like, hey, I want to invest long term. I want to make more money. Like, that's totally valid. My goal is to provide a good lifestyle for my family where we're flexible. And so as soon as we hit that goal every year, I start turning people away. But like, because of that, I get to work. Like this past week, I've got, like like I said, I've got probably like four or five hours of blogging, plus I shot a session. So I'm going to work about 12 hours this week. That's it. And I'm yeah. done. Like, that's satisfying that's, to me. That's amazing. So, so when you start working with people to help them with their productivity, I want to circle back to something that you said about yourself, that pride was one of the things that you struggled with overcoming the most. Do you see that in the people that are coming to you? Or is it just a lack of self-awareness or both? How does that it's a little sure. bit, a little bit both. Um, I don't know if you're a Ted Lasso fan or not. If you've seen the show, Love Ted Lasso. Uh, so every Ted Lasso was the. Was the I want to grow up to be Ted Lasso. He was the hero that 2020 needed. Yeah, but there's a line in the show, and it's it's quoted from from somewhere else, and I don't remember the original source, but uh, Walt Whitman. But he says, "Be curious, not judgmental." And I often notice that if I'm if I'm speaking in statements about my business, about my personality, about my situation. I am being judgmental. I'm saying I am this way. I am like this. I like this system. I want this. And if so if I'm speaking in statements more times than not, I'm not fully making sure that I'm aware of the situation. And that level of curiosity is one of the things that has really gotten me a lot further ahead in my photography business. And it actually worked out making me more money in the long run too, which was kind of neat. But I started really going, is this the best way to do this? And the truth is, like a lot of times the answer was no. So I'll give a, a great example. I am not a good editor. I, I, I get my camera. So when I, when I shoot, 98% of what I do to the image is done in camera. I'm very particular about my in-camera exposure, cropping, everything. So when I get home, it's white balance exposure, and that's it. Like I'm not doing any fancy stuff. Like I'm just awful at all of it. And I'm more than willing to own that. But when I started like submitting for like some, some competitions or I wanted something in, in publication, my first reaction was to try and do it all myself and learn all this stuff where I like, as I was working on it, I was like, am I, am I even the most equipped person to, to do this on this image? And so like I started going and it, it might seem silly, but like if I wanted like a, an image to just look top notch, if a client got like a, a big print or they got like, this was like going to be a full spread in the album or something like that, this was going to be special. I would outsource the, the retouching of three to five images here and there. So I'd still do the, the, the basic stuff myself and I set the style for everything else. But like those little things, I'd be like, you know what? Like somebody else can do this a whole lot better than I can. And I learned that in my business as well to look and go like, all right, where is this the best way to do it? Because a lot of times you start doing it that way and it's not. Like when I started editing, I was originally editing in Photoshop because I came from a background in graphic design. So every single image I would bring into Photoshop, manually open it, adjust the exposure, white balance, then close it. You know how freaking long that took? Like it took me like <laughs> days to edit stuff. And Not even one... in camera raw and like no, full no, Photoshop. Full Photoshop. I was a I was a nightmare. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is why we learn. But like I one day I was like, huh, I wonder if there's a better way to do this. And I was like, why didn't I ask that question sooner? Right. And so we're doing these email campaigns. We're doing these like I sent somebody, uh, I a friend of mine was she, she's she wound up booking a photographer and I wasn't going to be available so I sent her out and she's like is it normal for people to send you like nine page PDFs with their pricing and I was like oh my god Ugh. like why are people doing stuff like and it was like this like crazy she sent me one of them and she's like is this normal and I was like normal probably but like helpful not so much and as we were working through it it's like did that person ever think like is this what my clients want 
and, and like and finding out and maybe it is right so maybe that she just wasn't her client and, and all this stuff but like finding out and all, like every time you're about to like sit at your computer you're about to send off an email like is this the best way i could be doing this is is that something and you get that question running and that's how like i've automated my entire business now like there's very little that i manually get involved with like if somebody fills out my contact form on my website, like usually it's like one to three, like they're, they've already got like one to three emails before I'm ever actually speaking to them like personally. And that's like, that's done on purpose because I was like, all right, I can do this better for my situation. But you have to start asking a lot of those questions first because then you can start getting excited about stuff. Like, oh, what if I did this? What if I did this? And then you can just kind of fuel off of it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love talking to other photographers is for the, for the what ifs because everybody else has figured out something that works for them that may or may not work for you. Yeah. Like first time I talked to the guys at Nordica and they're like, Oh yeah, we never talk to our clients before the wedding day. Like everything is done over email. We don't have a meeting. We don't do anything. We don't ever pick up a phone. And I was like, tell me more about this. Yeah. <laughs> but that wouldn't work for so many people, you know, like there's, there's so many people who rely on that first in-person sales meeting or that like touch phone, high touch phone call system, like the LaPlante's have and, and things, but you have to know who you are and who your clients are and then just go for it. As somebody who sends out an eight page pricing PDF yeah. that works for our clients. But like, that's the, like, that's the thing. And like, yeah. I look at like what I've learned in my own business. And so I do, a, I do a ton of AB testing. Almost every mm -hmm. single piece of my business is AB tested. So I send this to X group, this, this to this group. And as soon as I have statistical relevance, which is basically just a fancy way of saying, if it looks like a lot of people like this thing, I feel pretty good about it. Right. So I mean, I'll, I'll stick with that. And as somebody that has done so much of that, the funny thing is, is I'll interact with other photographers and be like, huh, what about that is working so well for them? Because that didn't work well for me at all. And then you find out like somebody else. And the thing is, is it's just that their business works that way. And sometimes that's the simple answer. Yeah. And it's just Which like, is oh, okay. hilarious <laughs> and frustrating because <laughs> you're like, I want that to work for me, but it just, I mean, and you can get like, I think you can mold a business, but what a lot of people don't realize is to remold your business, which is really branding because branding mm -hmm. is how you make people feel about your business. That takes time. You can't just like flip a switch one day and be like, okay, from this point on, all of our clients will be interacted in X way. Like it has to be, you have to A-B test it. You have to see what's going to work. You have to try a bunch of different things and then go. But for a lot of people, that's a scary prospect because yeah. changing your business, like most staggering stats out there. I don't know how accurate. The last time I heard this stat, it blew me away, but it was 93% of businesses fail in the first three years, photography yep. businesses. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with they have one banner year and then they assume that's how things work and they don't change anything about their business because they're terrified that if they change it, it will fail when really it's the opposite. That's true. Yeah. My third year in business almost killed me. Uh, that was, I mean, like that was the year that my daughter was weddings? born. On, 53 man. weddings. Like, and I, dude, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday from April through November, I was shooting Memorial day weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I shot weddings every like back to back to back. I think I slept like two and a half hours between them made crazy good money. I went, I walked into the camera shop that I went to to like buy all my stuff. And man, I took out cash and I paid for like a 70 to 200, a 2414. Like I, I was like dropping money in there. I was like ready to go. And it was, and that side of it was, was awesome. Sure. But like when you get into this all, like it's so easy to just miss it. And like, it, that's the, like that, that year three where like things are going well, things are going well, that first little dip will freak you out. And that's where like the only thing that changed and got me through the rest of it were, all right, what what's important to me? Great. All right. Then how do I accomplish that goal without just throwing everything else out the window? And it was it was scary. Like it was it was seriously scary because like the funny thing is, is like it's it's stuff that like my logo on my website. I hate my logo. I don't love that. I, I had three logos designed. I have the other one I keep and it's like printed on the back of my MacBook. I love it. It's not the logo I went with for my company because it didn't perform as well. But like I had to let go of that. Because I tested it and I was wrong and it's okay. Like, so now I use this other one for like nothing when I do like shots. So like there's a music shot behind me that I love. And so when I do my commercial stuff, I, I sneak that logo in as a little watermark and it's like my little thing. But like, I don't use it for the rest of the stuff. <laughs> so how do you go from somebody who struggled with the pride of removing themselves from the equation 
yeah. to removing yourself from the equation. Because I don't think like 99.9% of entrepreneurs, especially creative entrepreneurs, would choose the logo that they like, not the one that performs. Oh, man, this is the hardest thing. And this is the, like, it is seriously hard because like, I remember the first time I had it done. I went out and so I know I love that you guys do portfolio critiques. And one of the reasons that I love that is that is uh, that is the gateway drug to accepting criticism uh, in my mind. Uh, so if you can go because a portfolio, every photographer, they bring their portfolio and they I feel like they think that heavenly music should be playing when it's unveiled. Like every single photographer I know, their portfolio is like they're they're just love child of their their business. They're like, this is the best that I have. And when somebody comes in. And it's just like, you should have cropped this this way. What are you thinking with this exposure? Like, And they like rip that stuff down. Like it can like, like it can and shatter you. Yeah. And what I did early, and this was accidental. I was not looking at this. I was an arrogant little thing. <laughs> <laughs> I went and I was like, I kind of was like, hey, this is my portfolio. Can you uh, tell me what I could have been done better? Thinking he's going to be like, oh, no, there's nothing you could have done better. You're perfect, Dave. Like, that's what I was hoping for back, I think, secretly. And Homeslide, like my, <laughs> my dude went like, hard in the paint correcting every mistake that i had made and he was right about everything and so i i left that i left hanging out with him uh his great photographer in new york his name's andres valenzuela and uh so i left that session with him and i went to go shoot an engagement session it was the worst engagement session i've ever shot i was like just a mopey mess i was like what well, how do i even i'm not supposed to be here I'm, I'm a crap photographer but that weekend once the emotional trauma from that that thing had healed i shot another wedding and it was the best work I'd ever done. Like every, because in my back of my mind, I'm like, take a step to your left. You don't want trees coming out of their head, like all this other stuff, right? And so what I did is I came back to him a second time, except this time I came with a way different attitude. I said, hey, last time I came, I kind of things wrong. I would love if you would review this. Like, this is the way that I'm doing things right now. Would you be open for sharing your thoughts with me? Because like, he didn't give me every single thing that I needed to change. And there were some things that I disagreed with him on. But the things he called out that were wrong, man, like I haven't done those mistakes since. Yeah. And that's, you can do that with other pieces of your business. Like outline, like, so you were talking about like email templates, like take all my email templates, run them by like two or three other photographers with like, hey, what do you think? Photographers you can trust. Like don't just be like hopping in the, like the local Facebook group and just posting them for the world to see. You're going to get some just trash feedback. But like, yeah. look for the two or three things that you could be like, oh, you know what? You're right on that. And then start to test. But like you have to seek out criticism. And that's hard, especially as creatives, because like you you made this, right? Like it's 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 tough. But like you get used to that, you're unstoppable. Like those are the people that are doing so well are the people that learn to take criticism early on. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I sucked at criticism when I first was in photography because I came from an engineering background where yeah. things worked or they didn't. There was no gray <laughs> area around it. Yeah. And the only one who was critiquing my work in the early days was my wife. And that did not go over well <laughs> at all. Don't get critiqued by your spouse. Yes. And, but then I'm like, okay, I know I need, this is a skill I need to learn. Cause like I, you know, I have a phrase that I learned from my wife, Abby, who I, that I use all the time is go towards the resistance. And I was resistant to critique in such a big way. So what do I do? I took foundation workshop and I had them critique my work and I had Ben Chrisman critique my work. And yeah. This gets rough, but like in a really good way, rough. And by hearing these things, not from my wife, I was able to remove my feelings from it and learn to take critique. And then that just continued and critique my business, critique my website, critique my CRM, my workflow, everything, yeah. and just completely diving into it. Like that's the, like, and I was talking to, to a friend last night. And so I bought a, I bought a new smoker over the weekend. I'm very excited about this. And so like, it's, I've. <laughs> Upgraded and upgraded and upgraded, and I'm unreasonably excited about this grill that allows me to cook things differently, right? But I was talking with him, and the thing that I was the, that we both came to was pretty cool. Is I get to use all of the knowledge that has basically ever existed about smoking barbecue on the weekends, and I get to take all of that stuff and funnel it into my own experience, and then I start from a way higher bar. The problem we take on as solopreneurs is we think that we are the bar for knowledge. And we can be so resistant. Oh, that only works here. That only works here. And so we don't take. And we are literally costing ourselves years by not listening to other people and that stuff. Like you can do so much better if you find like find subject matter experts and be like be wary of like the people that are like I'm going to talk about every single thing all the time. Like I'm an expert and all that stuff. Like there's there's obviously those people in the industry, but like find those validated people 
that you trust in your own relationships and stuff and start to run stuff by them and you know, be like, hey, is this the best thing I could be doing? And that humility will probably spark them to ask the same questions. And you guys both help each other grow. Like I have so many friends from across the States now that every time I like redo pricing or I, I try to like, I'm going to modify something big about my business. I'm like, hey, can you just give me a gut check on this? Like go as detailed or not as you want, but like it makes such a difference just being willing to be like, all right, where can I start to learn about this before I start just running down the road and, and making stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much to talk about there. Humility being the number one. I used to be a conference junkie. Uh, yep. It used to, it was my thing that I absolutely loved going to. And then I remember it was in like third or fourth year of just going to like every conference I could. I was like, oh man, I'm burnt out. Like I'm not really like, I'm, I'm smarter than all these people. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Slow down. Oh, <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, and I was, we were, I was having after conference beers with a friend that I said, let's go to this next conference together with completely open minds. We're going to go and we're going to go sit in front row for every single talk. And after every talk, we've got to go thank the speaker for speaking and tell them something that we took away from their talk. That's awesome. And my buddy, my buddy, my buddy was like, wait, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> it's like, first off, that's terrifying because not every talk is going to be knocked out of the park, but there is something to learn from every single person. Yeah. And it completely switched my, my script where I used to seek out the people that I idolize in the industry and in the bar after the conferences. Now I'll just talk to anybody. And then I just start digging into their business and they do something or know something or change something that every single time I'm just like, never thought about that. Everybody's got something in your blind spot. And one of the things I've talked about mapping it out for forever, but there is an ego curve in your photography career. And you're going to like, you start out like way over here. And you're like a little bit like, all right, maybe I could be okay with this. And you're like, I kind of suck though. And then like a few people start telling you you're decent. And then maybe like you start booking a few more people and you start going and then like, Lord help you if you win the award or something like that, even if it's like the oh, wedding gosh. wire, the knot or something, then you're like, pop, like you're like all the way up. Like I am the greatest. I am God's gift to photography, like whatever you want to put it. Right. And so like they go all the way up here yeah. and then you have that third bad year in business. Right. And you like drop back down and like you go and like, it's so easy to let your ego fuel your growth because when you're up here, the reason that drop comes is like, you're not paying attention to ways that you could be doing better. You're thinking about how awesome you are. And that's what happened with me, man. I was, I, my books were cleared out. I was making $300,000 a year. I was untouchable. I was like the greatest thing in the world. And then the next year wasn't so great. And then when that next year wasn't so great, like my whole identity was in crisis because my ego was tied so closely to my business that when my ego took a sh or when my business took a shot, my ego did too. And so I was mm -hmm. such a mess after that. And that's like that, that humility. Like I love hearing that like you're, you're doing that. Cause like, I mean, you can find a photographer that has been in business for like, three days and you like send them something or talk with them, they're going to have something in your blind spot that you have no idea about yeah. your business. And they're like, huh? Yeah. Something from their past life, something from a YouTube or TikTok video that they saw that you never saw. Like there's so much information out there. So this is a question that I like to ask all of my potential coaching clients. Yeah. And I want to ask you yeah. this, because I think you're going to have a different answer than what a lot of people out there have. How do you define success in your business? And how has that changed from when you started? Oh, man, that's a great one. Yeah. So it's funny because I've, I've spent time around the tech space as well as in uh, other jobs, right? And when you think about other jobs, success is so easy, right? Like, so like I'll, I'll use, I worked in a, a deli in college, right? And so success in that job is pretty straightforward. Like somebody orders cold cuts or sandwich and I, I go make said sandwich and then I deliver, right? That, that's success. We did it. Congratulations, everybody. That's completed. it. <laughs> and, uh, and when you get into this business for yourself, I think when I first started out, that you there's this golden like image in the distance of oh, full time. And people love to glorify full time, right? That's, oh, I want to, I want to yes. quit my job that I hate. I want to do all this stuff. And I did that. I, I was working. I was, a, I was a technician for one of the the best camera companies in the world. I was doing great. I was the only person that repaired the digital cameras in all of North America. It was like a great resume job, right? It was super cool. And I wanted to walk away. And people thought I was crazy because I got that golden image of the full time photography thing in, in my head. Mm. And the funny thing is, I left with all these lies that I told myself about, oh, well, I'll be able to work less. I'll spend more time with my family. I, like we said, I said all this stuff and none of it happened, right? Like I, I wound up working twice as much because now I had no constraints. I didn't like leave my tools at the office to come home. Like my computer was always there. So I could just keep working and, and doing all this stuff. 
And so I think when I first started, it was this idea of full time to be like part of the industry and then make more money and just keep like just more money, going to buy houses and buy stuff. And when I went through that, like that nasty just drop of like everything's falling apart, my business isn't doing well, my identity's not doing well, my relationships aren't well. I think the biggest thing that changed was I learned the value in enough. And one of the things that I think we don't do well enough is set goals. And if you hit them, celebrate the hell out of them. Like it's, it's something like, so like I weirdly enough got into scotch over the, the pandemic. Like this is the worst things I could have gotten into, but I was like, oh, it's scotch, bought scotch. I hit, I hit a goal for my business where I was trying to, to reduce my time down. And so I wanted to reduce my time down and see if I could maintain my similar salary without cutting like without cutting any like corners, but how much time could I actually what a, put in? What a great goal. Right? So, yeah. so that was my goal for the year, right? And so yeah. there's obviously ways that I could continue to take that goal for, further. So, so, so my goal was to get it down to um, four hours of post-production work for every wedding. So that means from the time I shoot their wedding, I want to cap everything at four hours after that. That includes culling, editing, delivering, post-session sales, everything. Four hours is the limit I want to set. And I did. And so I, I said it, I got for, for three or four weddings, I got it. And I was like, all right, I think I've got my system down to where this is, this is working. Right. And so, but like, it's so easy to be like, I wonder if I can make it three. I wonder if I could do <laughs> two and a half. And, and like, it's not that you don't do that, but celebrate enough. Like, remember, like there's a, there's a sign that is hanging in our kitchen that says, this is the life we wished for. And like, that's something that's so easy to lose sight of is if you're a few years in your photography business and you're building something like keep track of that. And that's, I think what success looks to me now is literally it's enough. It's if I can be flexible and take my kids and have like a great, like we just got back from New York. I was shooting a wedding up there. We get to go hiking with them. We get to have a great time. We're going up to Maine in a few weeks, a uh, few weeks as well. Um, and I'm in North Carolina. We're going to drive to Maine. So <laughs> send good vibes. It's going to be, <laughs> fun fun time of the travel but like we do these awesome things and my photography job allows me to do it like i travel with my kids and i think lenny and lenny and erica do the same thing right whether they they're they're prioritizing what matters to them and that's the thing is like you've got to stop looking at other people's businesses like look at what's important to you and go after that because that's what that that was the biggest mistake i think i made and how i wound up now redefining success is success is like if I've got a few fancy things, like I, I just upgraded my smoker, super happy about. But like, I budgeted for four years to upgrade that thing because it wasn't worth it to me to take on an extra wedding on a Saturday when I wanted to have that Saturday off. Like, yeah, it's a simple give and take. Like, all right, what is actually important to you? It's tough. Yeah, and that's it's an intensely personal question that no one's answer is going to match but yours. I, I love data and analytics. It's the nerd in me. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I did a huge questionnaire project where I, I sent out 600 emails, like blind emails to photographers all around the world and got around 250 or so answers back, maybe more than that. I don't remember. But one of the questions I asked on there was, how do you define success in your business? And so many of the other questions that I had on there, there was there was trending that was very, very easy to track. With that one, it was, and I knew going into yeah. it, like this was just like, I want to prove this to myself. But it was like one of the answers where there were occasional trends where it's like, you know, I want to have enough money to make sure my kids are okay and they're going to go to school and stuff. But, you know, it's the, the answers that people had, like the answer that I always give when people ask me that, it's like, if I could take two hours a day to walk my dogs in the forest, I'm successful. Like if I don't have to worry about that time. Yeah. Cause like, otherwise yeah. you, you turn into a victim of your business and like, it's so easy to, cause you get like a new lead notification on what do you, what does your mind immediately go to? I got to respond to this person as quickly as possible. Cause other photographers might be responding. What if you don't? Well, and we're taught yeah. that so many educators are teaching that where it's like, if you don't respond in 15 minutes, you, you've lost them. To, to which I say, well, no, that's not true. And the data shows that that's not true. <laughs> so this is the, like the biggest thing that I've changed. And I think I mentioned this last time, but like I got a dedicated business phone, right? Yeah. And so the funny thing is, is I turned it off all the time. So I turned it off. So I had my, my, my birthdays in June and then my anniversary shortly after. And this was 10 year anniversary. And so it was like one of the big ones, except the world was still kind of shut down. So we didn't really do anything. So, but like what I did during that time is I turned my business phone off completely for a week. And I said, Hey, I am out celebrating, whatever. And I came back. I had one lead that was sitting in there the whole time. I responded to them when they were the back. They were like, Hey, what, what, what's going on pricing wise and stuff like that. Like, 
And they were still more than open to having the conversation later on. Do yeah. I lose business? And have I lost business in the past? Absolutely. But the price of that is so much lower than the price of like the time and the mental well-being of being with my family undisturbed. Like when I can turn my phone off, like, and so like, we're coming up on almost five o'clock here. Like when I, when I, or so tonight I'm working late, but like on a normal day, I hit five o'clock, my phone gets powered off. And so like sometimes like, yeah, if I know a client's going to be around or stuff like that, we'll make exceptions. But like the, the rule as far as things go is personal time gets prioritized and it's so much easier to set healthy boundaries everywhere else in your business. If you start by just yeah. like disabled notifications, what if you didn't know the exact second somebody sent you an email? Would your life be that different? Like, are you going to be that far behind? Your, your life will be better. Yeah. As someone who used to be a chronic, like, get out of the car, hear my phone go off while I'm driving. Thankfully, didn't respond to emails while <laughs> yeah. I'm driving. But, like, would get out of my car at the grocery store or, like, on a date with my wife yeah. and would be responding to the inquiry on my phone because I heard it. It was from uh, Daniel Kudish, who runs, uh, yeah. used to run the Image Salon, just recently transferred. But he's he taught me about turning notifications off as well. And I'm like, you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar company and you have no notifications on your phone. And he's like, no, people can wait. Like when I'm in the office, I'm doing work, but otherwise like it's not a priority. That's it's such a gift that I think 2020 really gave us. And like, so for at least for us being on lockdown and stuff, like we, we looked at like, all right, what can we do differently going forward? What is, what are we noticing? And so one of the biggest things I noticed last year is like, there were obviously dips mental health wise and stuff, but like all of a sudden, like I didn't need to be reachable all the time. Like nobody needed me. It was great. Like five stars <laughs> recommend. Like, like, like it was, it was fantastic. And, and I think there's such a, like a freedom in that, that we're, we're so afraid of as business owners, but like it was such a freeing experience that now is something that I long for. And I, I continue to go back to and that's what We just talked about before getting on here about how like all of a sudden things are crazy and you're like, why are things crazy? I'm like, oh, because people need me again. I don't like this anymore. Like, <laughs> but that it's, yeah. it's, it's giving myself the, the boundaries to say, all right, I don't have to be reachable all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't. I can set business hours. Yeah. And, and so if you're like, all right, well, my clients might work and all this stuff. All right. So then don't go nine to five, go 10 to six, go. I take Mondays off and then I work late on Thursdays, like find something, but then stick to it. Like, yeah. It, if, if banks have managed to stay around for hundreds of years with stupid bank hours, your photography business, you can take 12 hours to respond to an email or 24 hours to respond to an email, set the boundaries that you need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Angie, my business partner for Businesses and Ventures, she uses Boomerang a lot in Gmail where she never wants a client to think that she's available at all hours. So if she responds, if she happens to be up feeding her daughter at three o'clock in the morning or whatever and decides to respond to an email, she sets it in Boomerang to not go out until like 9 a.m. the next day. So that they're not like, oh, well, that email came in at three. So I could just send emails at all hours of the day and expect it. As soon as she told me that story the first time, I went home and installed Boomerang in Gmail. I was like, yes, because I'm a chronic, like, can't sleep. I'll just respond to emails kind of person. It's, I, that's And that's why, like, those those systems come into play because, like, that's I'll do the same thing. And I'll do that kind of like ride the wave thing where I'm like, all right, today is email. But, like, that means going late at night. And I'm like, I don't want these people emailing me back right now and schedule them out, man. Like, and I do that with all sorts of stuff. So much of my business is pre-scheduled. Like if I know somebody's yeah. wedding is coming up and all this stuff, I will schedule an email. If I'm thinking about it right now, I'll schedule an email that doesn't have to go out for three weeks. Hey, here, like, I know this is coming up. I want to talk to you about your vendors. Here's a questionnaire. Fill it out whenever. Like, I don't want to think about this. And then a lot of the stuff is just completely automated. I don't think about it at all. But there's like certain like personalized things where I'm like, I know they're doing this weird thing at their wedding. Let me let me reach out to them like this. I don't want to send that right now. It's not ready yet. So like a lot of times when a job comes in, I'll set like a custom series of like pre-scheduled emails just for them. But I do it in that one sitting, pick it up, I'm gone. Right. And then you're not thinking about that stuff later on. It's so easy to just get consumed by your business. It's, it's sad to see it happen to so many people, especially because there's so many voices in the industry. Like you, you guys share a ton right now. There's um, a lot of other people that are starting to share about it as well. But like, it's easy to let this wreck everything. Like hustle is yeah. great, but you got to put a leash on it. Like, yeah, yeah. I, it's, I hate hustle culture. I understand the, the, the need for it sometimes as an entrepreneur, you know, there, there are times where you just, you have to hustle, oh, yeah. but you know, I, I can't remember who, who I was talking to years ago, but we're talking about like work-life balance and, and everything. And he was saying that 
can't remember the name regardless yeah. story stands um he was saying that like work-life balance for him comes in seasons mm-hmm. not days minutes or weeks where it's like there are times where it's like a whole month i'm just going to be grinding yeah. like august here in canada like we have a very short wedding season because most people don't want to get married in the cold so like august and september every single year are nuts because it's guaranteed good weather mm-hmm. guaranteed and so like we have this is our last year of shooting weddings and we have five weddings next month and it's just like, oh man, like this is going to be nuts, but yeah. you just, you're used to it. And so I think hustle has its time as long as there's the counterpart yeah. where you just can turn things off and can let your systems just run and just like be with yourself or your family, your kids or your dog or whatever yeah. it is that you need to do. That prep work for that stuff is, is so challenging too, because you have to plan ahead. And one of the biggest things that I've done is uh, I look at things quarters. I try to compare my business to a regular business. Like I look at like, what does Disney plus do? Right. And like, what do they manage meeting wise? And also I try to right, Q1, how are my earnings? Like Q1, what were my expenses? Mm-hmm. All this stuff. And I try to do the same thing. And so one of the biggest things is I pre-schedule my vacation time for the quarter. And so every quarter I go and what do the next three months look like? When am I going to be here? When am I going to not be here? And I do not budge on those vacation days. Like I can have inquiries come in. I'm sorry. I'm off. Like, and and like, if it's like, if I budgeted some time out, like way, way out and I can be like, all right, you know what? Like I can probably move that back a week or stuff like that to accommodate like a single wedding. But like, if it's one of those where like I'm in, there's already bookings filling up and I've got time booked off. I'm like, well, I could this one collection, they're getting married at this dream venue or they were like, I was supposed to fly to a wedding in Costa Rica, December, when I already had time booked for my family. And I was like, no, I don't care. <laughs> it's just a fancier look. Yeah. No, I'm out. And I, and I passed the referral off to a friend of mine. She's like, why are you passing up on this? I was like, because I don't care. Like, I've got time off. I'd rather be home with my family than like doing the airport shuffle with all my camera stuff. Like, you just don't want to do it. And it's so easy to glorify like, oh, well, let me. Let me just take on that extra wedding. Let me do this here without like those boundaries in place. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, when we gave up on travel weddings, people thought we were insane. And it's just like, we would rather go on a vacation, not working and just go on a vacation. It blows my mind. Blows my mind. And I mean, but I mean, there's some people out there who love to do destination weddings and all the power to them. Uh, we did it. We tried it for a couple of years and it was a nightmare every time, like sweating through through customs and worrying about our gear and all of this stuff. And we're just like, you know what? No, we could we could go to this location and just hang out, not, you know, drive around the countryside under the pretense of scouting or whatever. It's just like actually see it. That's the thing, man. Like, so when I, when I, I had one year where I was doing a ton of out of state weddings and I was doing events and corporate stuff as well. So I was doing some commercial stuff for some for the government, some for like private companies and all this stuff. The stuff that I would travel to, no matter how good my rate was, my hourly rate was always garbage because the time in the airport, the time applying for permits, passports, getting ready for custom like all this extra stuff that's coming out of your paycheck like you could literally like it got to the point where like i was doing like some like destination like corporate shoots and i'm like i could literally work at starbucks for 20 hours and probably make the same amount of money or a little bit more (laughs) for the same amount of hours i'm like this is ridiculous why am i doing this and that's the thing like calculating that hourly rate of like all right if i'm gonna travel four hours to shoot this wedding I'm going to shoot the wedding. I'm going to interact with them as a client, all this other stuff. Like how much time am I actually going to make? Cause like this dude, when I was doing those 53 weddings, like I love to lead with the 300,000 cause that's what sounds nice. Right. My hourly rate yeah. was like $4. I was basically making like five bucks an hour. <laughs> I think it was like four sixty seven or something when I was pulled up, but like yeah. it was, it was awful. I used to clean up dog poop at a dog kennel for more hourly, like for more per hour than that. And that was in like 2001. <laughs> like, yeah. That, and, and I think that's the thing that so few people talk about is like, you know, we hear the, oh, make $100,000 or be a seven figure photographer yeah. or, or whatever it is. And it's like, that's great. But what's your take home? Yeah. Like, what are you actually walking away with? And what does your life look like? And, and what are you putting into it? Yeah. I mean, we we had the same thing where we had, you know, like quarter million dollar years and things like that. But lost contact with all of our friends and family the all of the time like my wife and i i think there's probably a three-year stretch in our relationship where we only talked about work like we just we didn't have a personal life for those three years and from the outside looking in and on paper we were very successful but we both 
hated it for years my driving into the the canadian rockies which is one of our favorite places on earth for years would cause my wife to have an anxiety attack because we would mostly go out there for work yeah and so we would be going on vacation to go camping or something like that and like as we're driving into like over this one hill she would start to have anxiety because she's just like we're going to bamp we're going to do a wedding i'm like no 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 (laughs) we're not it's it's so easy to get in those routines, and I think that's one of the biggest things. Like, if photographers are are paying attention to their business, or anyone that that listens, or just gets like a fraction of this, like, just really make sure that you've got that priority in check to be like, all right, there are like the longevity of my business is just as important as the success of it. Yeah. And so if I don't schedule those times off, like, I'm not going to make it long term, because like my first four years as a photographer, like the difference right in me- like my mental health mm-hmm. versus the la- like the last seven years or whatever it's been since since i made that shift like it's night and day where like the idea of being a photographer like because you miss stuff and like i was dude when i was a, a marathon like i missed all sorts of stuff i i shot with the flu like you just go and you just do all this stuff and like man like i had to go to physical therapy for five months because i was i did so much damage to my body during those times of hustle right yeah. Like if if I had let that go on for another two years, like I seriously could have like crippled my way out of a photography career if I had kept it up. Yep. And they told me like the doctors were like, what were you doing? And I was like, oh, I was doing like, you know, five weddings a weekend in like $20 pay less dress shoes because I didn't want to spend money on good ones. They're like, yeah. How no did you wonder. think your feet were going to wind up? And I was like, oh, yeah, probably broken. Yeah, like, you did, <laughs> did 40,000 squats in five days in paper <laughs> shoes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but like you like I had never thought to prioritize things. And that's one of the beautiful things about like what you guys are doing in the education front. And what there's there's a growing shift towards is mm-hmm. prioritize yourself and not in a selfish kind of nasty way, but in a hey, I can't realistically commit to that. Yeah. And you don't owe anyone apology. You can just be like, hey, I can't. And sometimes yeah. that's going to be shooting a wedding. Sometimes it's going to be responding to an email right now, but you can only do what you can do. And it's not your fault if you get asked for more than that. It floors photographers when I tell them that they don't have to give somebody a reason to not take their wedding. Yeah. Like, you don't have to say you're booked. You don't have to say you've got another. It's like, nope, sorry, I'm not available. That's all you have to say. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, They'll find somebody else. You complain all the time about how the market's so saturated. Don't worry. They will find another photographer. So true. Oh, and I was so guilty. I think the first like 20. So now like now to give you like the flip side of things. I'm like, I I understand this is going to freak people out. I turn away 37 weddings over the last year and a half. Oh, yeah. But with that, like with. So my average is usually I turn away between 20 and 25. This past year was particularly I turned away a lot because I didn't want to do the, some of the extras and make my schedule crazy this year. So I, I, I knowingly came into 2021 willing to work for less money. And so like, I, I've obviously made choices that other people won't, but like turning away weddings the first few times is terrifying. Terrifying. Like you're like, uh, I don't know how to do this. Like, I'm just like, I'm but like, you don't have to, Hey, I've got great friends that are available. Sometimes I'll give referrals. Sometimes I won't. Mm-hmm. Like if I get like a, uh, I don't know about you vibe, like, I'll be like, I'm unavailable. Good luck. But other times it's like, hey, I'm unavailable, but I have these three other photographers that, that are available. And it's a great way to build relationships. Like every one photographer that I've referred a wedding to, I don't know anyone that hasn't paid it back at least once, if not multiple yeah. times over. Yeah, of course. Like friends support so, friends. Yeah. Yeah. Deep break. We did a thing for next year that most people would think we're crazy. So we're, we're, we're closing up shop on our photography business because my coaching business is blowing up and Abby's yeah. got her own thing now and everything else. And we had a couple of weddings, COVID weddings that, you know, booked yeah. us in 2019 and have pushed out to 2022. And we were yep. just like, no, we can't like we're this is our last year. We're done. And so we emailed those people and said, hey, look, we're going to refund everything. Here's some referrals. Happy trails. And I had other photographer friends like you're giving money back like okay. you don't have to. And I'm like, yeah, I do. We're, we're, we're canceling on them. But also that's. We don't, it's not our success anymore. You know, like we, we don't need that any longer and that's okay. And for most photographers, I think the concept of like canceling on a wedding or canceling on a client, obviously it's 18 months out. I wouldn't do it if yeah. it was next week, but yeah, yeah. I think those first couple times are scary and then it gets so nice to just be like, no, we don't need that. Like we, we, for years would, we wouldn't cap our year. We would cap our months. 
mm-hmm. that we always had at least one weekend off every single month of the year and everything else yeah. like that. And, and that was so nice where it's like, you know, we had three Saturdays booked and we're getting four inquiries for the other Saturday. Nope. Sorry. Not available. And it, a lot of it comes from a lack of awareness. And that's one of the things that like we talked to, we started talking about systems and automation and those things. And one of those things that they do is they give me awareness. So the two things that I live and die by is I have a budgeting software and I have a studio management software, right? And both of those things tell me exactly what I can do with my time and with my money. Yeah. And that's all I care about about my business is where does my money go and where does my time go? Because like at the end of the day, like that's what I am doing. That's why I am in business. I am trading time for money. So I want to keep pretty good track of both of those things because that's the whole reason I'm in this, right? But like once you start getting the hang of that, like I have a pretty good picture at any given time. So I can look like I'm budgeted three months out, which was not the case when I first started in this. Right. And like now I know I'm budgeted three months out. So like if I'm like looking, I can be like, yeah, you know what? I could use a little bit extra. Let me do this or let me get this. Let me take that extra shoot. But like if I know I'm budgeted and I know that I've got time off, totally take that extra thing or totally, you know, what? I'm budgeted. and I don't want it. I don't want to do it. And I say no with such a freedom that comes from that awareness. And that's the thing that you said, start with that awareness first. And then, yeah, that's, that's, that's where systems and data is absolutely the best. Like when you know your cost of living and your cost of doing business and all the rest of this, it makes decision yeah. making so much easier. Because when you realize it's, it's like, problem. oh, <laughs> I only need 14 weddings a year to live life at my current well-being or whatever it is. Yeah then you can say no to 15 or you can say yes to 15, but it's a lot easier decision than thinking, well, how am I going to make my mortgage payment next month? How much money is coming in? Or like the thing that plagued me for years before we started tracking all of this is like, I swear this time last year we had more inquiries or more things booked. And then we started tracking our leads and our bookings. And it's like, nope, we are on average. Don't panic. Keep moving forward. Three weeks from now is usually when it spikes up. It's like, oh, great. Yeah, and it like, and it's that awareness that gives you freedom. Because like, what we did is like, we started out with a basic budget, and I wasn't budgeting at all. We we made a, a pretty good financial mess, and so my wife and I sat down. And we we made a basic budget of what we were spending, what we could spend at that point. But then we made a budget of like, what is our dream budget? Well, we hit that number, and so we we did that in 2016. We hit that number like three or four weeks ago, and we celebrated the hell out of it. Good. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't go. Well, what's next? We've got it. We did it. Like, (laughs) check the box, man. Like, we're done. And like, do that stuff. Like, think about like looking at your time. All right. How much how much free time do I want in a week? What's realistic? Mm -hmm. All right. So if I want 25 hours of free time in a week or I want 30 hours of free time, how do I make that happen? And it's the same thing. Like, you want to do that with your time the same way you do it with your finances. And then when you do that stuff, like, just celebrate the heck out of it because it's so easy to just be like, oh, well, I've got this goal. Let me just keep moving. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours, yes. so we'll probably have to have you back for a second conversation. But before I dive into our last question, I got to curveball you. What was your favorite scotch that you bought over the last year? All right. So this is, so, so Lagavulin in 16 has become like, I appreciate, I love, I hate to say the cheaper one, but I finally found a bottle of the Nick Offerman Lagavulin and it's smokier, which I appreciate smoke. I make a ton of barbecue brisket and everything like that. And so it's my favorite one going, but I've still got Talisker and there's another one that I'm still waiting to try that a friend of mine, we're all going to meet up and meet in person, which is crazy. Oh, <laughs> sometime coming up. So, but Lagavulin has been my, uh, has been my go-to. It's, it's a great go-to. I, I, I have a bit of a scotch. I have 58 bottles upstairs. So yes. yeah, I, I am so it. new to scotch. I was like a, a bourbon guy and i make my own beer and so I I've, I've become uh, a bourbon guy that was my covid thing <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. i literally was a scot like i was sitting outside with a friend i was like i want scotch and i left to go get a bottle of scotch and came back i was like huh turns out i like scotch now this is great yeah, like, yeah. awesome okay so our, our last question that we ask everybody is uh seeing as business is an adventure uh what would be your uh field notes or trail guide to someone starting off on their own adventure into business this has been like that that quote from Walt Whitman, Ted Lasso, wherever, that, that be curious, not judgmental. That has really been the guiding force of my business uh, over the past couple of years, um, specifically since Ted Lasso came out. But that, that curiosity and that humility has come a, a long way. And so that would be the one thing I tell everyone to take with them is like test everything. Drop your ego as quickly as you can. Like 
it's the one thing that will hold you so far back in a world where every like you live in a photography world where everyone thinks they're a rock star. Like your ego is not going to bring anything to the table. You ditch that and you'll be unstoppable. Like that's the thing. Like those people that are asking the questions, they're the ones that are going to do really well. Absolutely. All right. So shameless self-promotion. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? And uh, if they wanted to hire you for some some coaching on systems, how could they? Yeah, that. so uh, so the the direct way to get in touch with me, so Dave at DaveShea.com is, uh, so right now I'm only doing one-on-one. Uh, I'm not doing any scale or class or anything like that. I was doing Patreon and stuff like that for a while, and then I realized that I should probably take my own advice and watch my hourly rate. And so I do as much stuff for free inside the industry as I can in terms of sharing all that stuff. If people want me to come one-on-one in their business, I do a little bit of that on the side. Generally speaking, that's for established businesses or people that are at least realizing that this is a little bit of a problem in terms of how they approach things. So that's the the best way to do that. Otherwise, just keep an eye out. I try to do as much stuff online as I can to help photographers kind of avoid the mistakes that I've made. You can find my website at myphotographerlovestacos.com. You can also go to davesha.com directly, but it's an easy, fun way to find me as well. Awesome. Right on. Well, thanks for hanging out today. It was really great. That was, that was, like, that was a fast hour. <laughs> yeah, man. It's always, always a pleasure. And I really appreciate the work that you and Angie and the rest of the, the industry are doing, teaming up uh, just to help photographers live better lives. It's just, it's exciting. It's yeah, really it's a great cool movement. Love it. All right. Well, I'll let you go. It's after five. I don't want to make you work late. <laughs> yes. I will catch you later, man. Thank you so right. much. And I'll see you guys soon. See ya. Thanks so much for tuning into our show today. You can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, as well as our show notes at businessasanadventure.co slash podcast. You can find us on our Instagram at businessasanadventure. We'd also love to see you in our Facebook community, where we provide weekly free education for our fellow adventurers. You can find the link in our show notes. And finally, if you want to get a weekly, not spammy, email from us with our favorite things we've found in the business and creative world, you can sign up for our Field Note Fridays at businessasanadventure.co slash fieldnotes. 